McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Poppy fans and welcome to the PO Forecast episode 56. Well, what Pompey team are we actually watching, people? Is it the good Pompey team at home? Is it the bad Pompey team away? Joining me to discuss this today is Pompey News Now's Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? How's it going to you? You're all right. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good, Freddie. I'm good. Do you have a nice Christmas? I did, yeah. Well, <laughs> as with many people, uh, you always have the horrible hangover after Christmas, and that's what happened after those two great games against Ap- Ap- Ipswich and Wickham. And then we had that MK Dons game. Something goes back to reality a little bit, so we'll be going through that over the next hour or so. Yeah, yeah. And what we've done today, everybody, is what we're going to do in this podcast episode is we're going to review the four games that basically we need to catch up with. So um, the Accrington game, the Wickham game, the Ipswich game and the game against MK Dons. Uh, We'll preview the Gillingham game as well. But um, thanks again to everybody who sent in their questions and um, tips on who they want Pompey to sign in the transfer window. Um, And that's going to be posted as a separate episode. So check out the feed um, that you're getting this podcast from. But um, yeah, we're going to record it together now, Freddie, aren't we? So we're going to we're going to power through, but separate it for you guys. So it's not a two, three hour podcast, basically. Cool. OK, Freddie, let's get into it, mate. Um the good. We'll start with the good. Um, and I'm grouping these two games together for that reason, because they were better than good, I suppose. They were outstanding. And it's the wins against Ipswich and Wickham. The game against Ipswich itself, you know, a team that weren't maybe in the best of form, Freddie. But, you know, they've got the quality in their squad, haven't they? And it was a good win. Oh, of course they do. Well, any team that gets relegated for the championship in this division will always, <clears throat> will always be really hard. And Ports of against probably what most people were thinking had a very very good game dominating possession creating lots of chances not panicking on the ball it was everything that fans want out of the, out of the team yeah no absolutely and even the stats when you look at the basic stats here freddie um you know total of uh 10 shots in uh, sorry 15 shots um in the game 10 of those coming from open play for once with only five coming from set pieces what i was what i was particularly interested about um in this game is that it was the fluidity of how we came forward and how we managed to get Ipswich to basically sit back a bit deeper and that we sort of pressed them um andy cannon in that role you know whether he's you know true number 10 or not is not important for this but he really led the charge forward didn't he um he pressed forward he brings the ball forward and that sort of opens up 
opens up defences as such. Were you impressed with Andy Cannon's uh, performance against Ipswich? Oh, by a long way. By a long way. He's probably the first, he's probably first on the team sheet at number 10 now, after those two performances alone. The problem with, for example, when we had Marquis playing at number 10 out of position, he always had to drop back to get the ball, either from Naylor or from Close or from the fullbacks even. But with, uh, but with Andy Cannon linking the play together... Porto didn't, Porto didn't have to drop drop so deep and search for the ball, which was their problem in a lot of games. So that's why the team were more fluid. They, they didn't have to drop so deep to collect the ball. Harrison was able to get involved in the game earlier and link up play with the wingers who can cut inside. And it worked really well and it didn't resort to panic, panicky football that was too direct at times. Yeah, exactly. And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, most of the listeners who've been listening to this podcast have been clamouring for Andy Cannon to be introduced back into the side. Um, and when you look at the start of the game, there was a break where, you know, he got the ball um, from, I think it was from Ben Close, and he moved the ball really quickly, dribbled it forward, then he laid it off to Williams. And he also made that forward run into the box, which sort of opened up enough space for Williams to have a shot, um, which was deflected. And then the keeper made a good save. But it just shows that direct running, which I think the other players in our in our team, the likes of Marcus Harness, Ronan Curtis, Williams, those players need that space to be made, don't they? So they can make those direct runs into the box. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, that was the problem with Pompey for most of the times when they lost. The lack of movement off the ball and on the ball. But the ports of players, attacking players, have to be able to drive play. That, and that's what Andy Cannon does with that example you said being able to dribble a bit with the ball so so a winger can get into free space and and the through ball can be made. That was why so many times this season, Pompey had to go direct all the time because there was no movement on and off the ball. And playing Cannon there at number 10 solved that problem entirely. I know know John Marcus got a lot of flack for playing out of position at number 10. He did his best, but it was quite clear to everybody. He was was not even going to be as good as Gareth Evans was when he played number 10 last season. So... Yeah, it, it, it was obvious that that change needed to be made. I'm glad it finally was, and it paid off for those two games. And with the exception of injuries, meaning that Kenny Jackets had to be forced into making certain changes, do you think it was a case of, you know, round pegs, square holes, square pegs, round holes, however you want to say it, and Kenny Jacket maybe just looking to include John Marquis and Ellis Harrison in the same team rather than, than you know, choosing the team that maybe works the best together? Oh, precisely. He wanted to have both. Well, he wanted to have both and keep his favourite formation. So he, he so he wanted his Christmas cake and he wanted to eat it as well. <laughs> so forcing forcing Marcus out of position at number ten number ten was I never got it. I never understood it. But obviously Harrison, with the aerial ability and 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 how he's mobile on the ball, he was needed in the team for the system to work. So instead of playing four four two, he dropped Marcus back a bit, which in the end didn't really work. So it was it was much easier for, again, as most most people said, round peg round hole. Putting in Andy Cannon at number ten just helps move things over in those two games. Yeah, completely. And I think when you look at how the fullbacks played again, it wasn't just about the the attacking four up front, was it? You saw, you know, before coming off injured, you know, Ross McCrory makes this run from right back into the middle to sort of. Um, you know, just provide that extra player. He ends up taking a shot, which the keeper manages to get down and save. But it's that level of a team being dynamic, isn't it? And, you know, being able to cause defenders problems, not being so predictable as such, um, um, yeah. which at home is, I think, where our successes come from. Oh, precisely. The, uh, the fullbacks going forward always, always helps with Portsmouth looking less one-dimensional. Even when 
Lee Brown was in the team. Now Lee Brown, obviously, again, like many other Pompey players, gets a lock of flat. But sometimes, when he, even when he dribbles forward, even even though he doesn't look comfortable doing it, he makes loads of space for where Ronan Curtis on the left wing, or he'll make space for Ben Close to get a bit further forward and then maybe get into a shooting position. That's what Pompey fullbacks need to be able to do. When Ports have had the ball, you can always have the two centre-halves stay back and, and, and Naylor drop a bit deeper just to allow the fullbacks to go forward a bit and create those spaces. And they don't have to be excellent at it. They could just do the simple things. A simple dribble forward and a pass might 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 just be that little bit extra for the um, the wingers and the forwards to actually have a chance to have a proper shot on goal. And just looking at not just from the attacking perspective, Freddie, but I really wanted to get your input on where you think, um, well, how you think the defence in those two games, Ipswich and Wickham, how are they? How are they so solid, mate? What was the magic formula for the for the defence, which meant that you know Pompey weren't only going forward, but they looked solid at the back, didn't they? Because you know, obviously, you bring back in Burgess into the centre. I think he's generally looked pretty steady there. Why was it working well with Raggett in these two games at home? What was the what was the key to their success? I think it just helped that Portsmouth had more possession, um, more possession, less less likelihood of. Um, the other team attacking them all the time. That's where it fell apart in the game that I watched live against Accrington. Portsmouth couldn't control possession and couldn't, and couldn't dictate the play. Accrington were dictating the play all the time. And that was why the defenders had to spread around a lot. It, it, with a makeshift defence, which Portsmouth have had for ages, the more you could, the more you can retain the possession, the less like it reduces the likelihood that someone will make a mistake or if a counter-attack comes in. And, and for example, if it's a three-on-two against or whatever... So no, the defence looked more solid simply because Portsmouth had more more of the ball a lot of the time, and Christian Burgess coming back into the side, his leadership as centre half made everything work really well. Yeah, I suppose so, but I also I do think that's true. But when I watched how Pompey defended, for instance, against Wickham, um, there was a break where Wickham breaked forward quickly. It looked like it could be a, a two on one or, you know, that sort of thing. And, and Walks managed to get in position, slow it down enough, you know, jockey the player uh, in enough time for other defenders to get back. The midfield track backed well. In the other games, it just looked, you know, away from home. It just looked very sloppy. There was so much space. Do you think that there's a mentality a little bit at home that the team are unbeaten there, they're confident, um, and and therefore that they're doing their jobs better? Confidence is a huge thing, of course. Of course, that could be down to that, especially for fringe players playing in this side now. For example, Anton Walks at the start probably was very nervous. This is another chance to actually make a state for himself in another position he doesn't know as well. So, of course, he'd be nervous and then maybe a bit sloppy, but. At home, he probably had the confidence where he, which he didn't have in those away games, which is why even out of position, he he did exceptionally well. Yeah, no, I think he's done well, isn't he? He's, he's I was actually a bit dubious, and I think most people were, to be fair, about how Walks would fare in the left back role. You know, he's come under some criticism for his play at right back as well, hasn't he, over the last season or two? So, transferring him onto his off wing was a sort of a bit of a, you know. A chance, wasn't it? But what can you do when both your left backs are injured? How have you thought about Anton Walks, Freddie? Because I, I know that you've been not a defender of him, but you definitely have pointed out some of his benefits as a defender compared to other people who have maybe just slated him overall. Oh, precisely. I try not to slate every single player, even even if, for example, they do make mistakes. 
Well, no, I've been really impressed with Anton Walks at left back, even though the game I saw live, which we'll get onto later, he was awful in that game. So I'm really glad that he managed to bounce back and defend, do more than just have a good pass on him. He defended solidly. He knew where his winger was most of the time. And positionally, he wasn't out of position a lot of the time, which is great. And he, I saw in um, the Football League paper, I can't remember which game it was, I think it was for the first game against Ipswich, he was on Team of the Week which nobody would have predicted before the game that he started. No, exactly. And, you know, getting a man of the match performance or around that is, yeah, it's pretty impressive for a player who's just come back into, into the team. You can't ask me more, can you? No. And even James Bolton on the right seems to be getting forward a little bit, didn't he? Um, in the two home games, providing a bit more width. Um, I don't, I, you know, I think that can be a, potentially a bit of a recipe for success if we can replicate that to our waveform because... The, the wingers we have need that overlap, don't they? Because especially people like Ronan Curtis, who on the left, you know, wants to come inside and shoot like he did to get that goal from distance. And defenders are only ever going to allow that if he's got an option going wide to pass, um, which means, you know, it's not so predictable. Um, and it means that it's given them something to think about, hasn't it? Before uh, Ronan Curtis comes inside. Oh, precisely. The fullback, uh, the fullback position for Portsmouth in the system doesn't need to be that complicated. Obviously, they need to be defensively sound first, but what they also need to do, again, like you said, the movement off the ball, the movement to attack the other opposition fullback, to take him away from the wingers so they can create something in in the middle of the pitch. And that's what Nathan Thompson did so well when he when he was here in Portsmouth. He, 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 didn't, he barely crossed the ball at all. It was just his ability to make those runs off the ball and dribble at times. And that was what whenever that's what James Bolton wasn't doing when he was playing, and that's why Kenny Jackett said that infamous quote of "Oh, I, I don't really, I don't really see why he fits." That was why is because he he didn't go forward enough. He was defensively reasonable, but he just didn't uh, he didn't offer the rip width that Jackett wanted initially. But I'm glad he's started to do that now. Yeah, and, and I think as we said, he's a natural right back, so it would be convenient at least if he could make a, ch- a challenge to. Um... Yeah, to to make work the system and play what about system? Because... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want Burgess playing at right back ever again. <laughs> no, 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 I don't no, want that to happen no. every game. So, so hopefully James Bolton finds his feet eventually. No, I think so, and I think he is getting better, isn't he? I know at Shrewsbury he was always seen as a a right back who pretty much didn't go much further than the halfway line. Did a bit, but was very defensive. And and people who've seen Shrewsbury this season will see how deep they sit and how defensive a team they are. Um, and coming from that system to playing as, as well, playing with some much more attacking players, who require you to get round them and open up some space must be a bit of a transition um, and it's up to the coaching staff to try and help him translate that in um, onto the field really um, and if they think he can do that then they need to help him and we're seeing a bit of success from that so you know credit goes back to them if they can make it happen mm. um, what did you think of the goal Ronan Curtis scored from distance uh, did you think the keeper should have done better with it because it, it took a deflection me, didn't it? So, I don't know did it take a deflection yeah, well, I, I don't really know to be honest with you. He, he could have done a bit better, but I'm not really fast. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not fast at all when it comes to saying, "Oh, should the keep? Should the opposition keeper done better?" To, in a goal's a goal, and Curtis made that chance in the first place, so I don't necessarily mind. No, okay, that's cool. Um, Harrison has looked absolutely dominant in the air um, in both his good games and bad games. So, for instance, I know he um, won 14 headers, which is or key aerial duels and lost none um, in the game against Wickham. 
he's carried that on and we'll go into some of the bad aspects here because he carried that on into the first half of the MK Dons game with seven um, aerial duels, uh, one, which is obviously half of, of the other one, you know, re- re- repeating his um, good form basically in the air. It was a really odd substitution at MK Dons to take off Ellis Harrison for me anyway, for a like the like, change and put John Marquis on when you're 2-0 down away from home who has struggled up front on his own in this system uh, especially when you played what is effectively a 4-4-1-1 formation to start off which baffles me in, in the first place what's the thinking behind introducing John Marquis do you think at half time is it just that you're playing too shit as a team so we need to make a change or do you think there's anything you can see there Freddie which is actually you know a positive tactical move it was just a, it was just a performance thing surely it must have been where oh I was desperate for a goal we're going to bring on the proven striker without without thinking well how are we going to get the service to him what impact is he going to have on the ball how often is he going to get on the ball these are the sorts of questions you have to make when you make a substitution it's not just because oh in 45 minutes Alice Harrison look it's getting dominated in the air he's winning his headers but he's not offering a lot else we've said this so many times about John Marcus if you have to, if you want to play him you have to edit the system a bit. And you should, because he's, because he's an excellent striker. You should be able to edit the system around him so he can score goals. The fact that he hasn't scored enough for Portsmouth is completely down mainly to the manager. Even though in the MK Dons game, he fluffed two chances. But I still trust him. In the right circumstances, he, sh- he should be scoring at least 15 goals this season. That's what he, At least that's what he should be on. But he's not, because the, the system doesn't suit him. And do you think the system will ever suit him, though, Freddie? That's the question to put out there. It depends. It depends if Jacket tweaks it, which um, is wishful thinking, really, to be honest with you. Even, even the simple things, even if, for example, we've mentioned earlier that the fullbacks are playing a lot better going forward. If Marcus is in the side then, then the wingers can cut inside and offer more support to him if he's playing up front for a killer through ball. That was the shortest of chances that Marquis fed off of when he was a Doncaster. Just the ability to counter-attack quickly and have people around him to give him the service. And that's how he'll score goals. In other games, it just won't work him playing up front on his own. Yet he played up front sort of on his own for Doncaster, but that 4-3-3, the wingers were so tight to him that it was effectively free up front, even with wingers. So what you have to do is support him. It's just, it's just tuck the wingers in a bit more, make the fullbacks more attacking and give Ben Close a tiny bit more license to go forward. And same with Andy Cannon at number 10. So it can work. It's just it requires a, it requires a tiny bit of tweaking and everybody to be on their game. Yeah, and I think you can see that Ellis Harrison fits into the Kenny Jacket system quite comfortably. He's got the ability to to win the flick-ons, to bring the ball down and ha- have a look up, isn't he? As well as play on the shoulder of the of the defenders. So he's an easy fit into that position. And, you know, I'm, I'm not that confident at the moment that Kenny Jackett's going to be able to tweak the system to make it work um, up front for John Marquis. But, you know, if you can, that would be great. No, um, I, think, I think at the moment, really, I'm not surprised Ellis Harrison's starting, and he should do because he's played a lot better. So I don't blame Jackett for not starting Marquis considering the system he's playing and the fact that Ellis Harrison scored more goals. But it's just that if you are to play John Marquis, you have to edit the system a bit mid-game, which he sometimes refuses to do. Yeah, yeah, it's not good enough to bring in on players, is it? But um, just moving on to the player performances, we talked about the 
you know, the wing backs getting forward, um, you know, against MK Dons. Starting off 4 4 1 1 formation with Harness effectively playing behind Harrison seems baffling after the. Well, the good performances come before it, and the, the the system seems to be working well. Do you think that contributed towards the loss, or do you oh, think it's it yeah? Oh, of course it can. Well, if you, if you change any system, it will take a while for the players to adapt. So of course it will, especially at League One level. Obviously, it, it's to be fair on paper, playing harness at number ten could be a good thing, and maybe playing a diamond through the middle. He wanted to outnumber the MK Dons midfield on a big pitch, but. It just didn't seem to work, did it? It, it? You could have kept you could have kept things simple. You could have just gone out with exactly the same team in exactly the same system and see what happened. I didn't. Think, were Portsmouth that you were at, you were at the game live? Did you think Portsmouth yeah. were that far behind when Kenny Jacket made the formation change? We we're awful, mate. As soon as the first goal went in, you know the team was awful. They couldn't string a pass together. They lost the ball frequently. Um, it was slow. There was no movement. The wing backs it's, didn't get sounds, forward properly. It sounds exactly the same as Accrington away. The only good thing about that game was the two pound beers in the tent before the game. No, but literally, it, it, that was even weirder because Portsmouth took the lead and looked fine. Looked absolutely fine at one nil with Ronan Curtis's header from the back post. And then, as soon, and as soon as we can see the goal, I'm trying to remember what the goal was like now. I think it was an overload from a counter attack. I'll have to double check that. But as soon as the first, as soon as that goal went in, the heads just completely went, and there was no defensive solidity whatsoever. And it sounds like that that was the same thing that happened there. I mean, the goal at Accrington was basically on the counter, and he just we picked the ball up, and then it was played through on the right hand side to Marcus Harness, who then played that ball into the box, didn't he? Whipped it into the box, mm-hmm. and Ronan Curtis is seems to have absolutely mastered the finish that you would think that someone like John Marquis would be getting on the end of those balls, wouldn't you, actually? I don't think it helps the fact that Marquis isn't playing every week, which obviously was what he was doing for, for Doncaster, but that's no excuse. He should be he should be finishing those chances, some of the chances he's been having. Yeah, and again, when we say, I think strikers, are, there's a lot of confidence, isn't there, with a the striker as well. If you're if you're scoring, you're feeling good, and and goals come to goals, a bit like money comes to money. But he's struggling. He's struggling at the moment. But let's fingers crossed he can turn it round because some people have been asking um, for us to sell him in January, which is absolutely bonkers. Um, and I'm just going to put it out there: he's not going in January. Um, and no one would pay the sort of money we paid for him now based on the form he's in. So you no, only no, sell, complete, you sell high. It would be a complete waste. It would be a complete waste if he, if any attempt was made to get rid of him now. What would you do? Would you buy another striker on the cheap and hope it works? Uh, or if you don't get another one, what, you just get gotten rid of your squad debt for no reason? No, it's a completely stupid idea. But we'll just have to hope his, his form picks up later on when he plays. And I hope it does. Yeah. No, I'm sure he's got the ability to, hasn't he? So it's down to everyone to make that work for him and him to step up and take chances where he can. Because mm. if he came on, even in a struggling system and all the problems that Pompey had the other day at MK Dons, if he came on and put away one of those two chances, then you know suddenly things are looking a bit closer, aren't they? Um, and a lot better for him as a player, really. Mm, um, at the Accrington game, what was the feeling amongst the fans, do you feel, Freddie, um, with the poor play? Because... You know, there was about I think it was four and a half thousand or whatever at, at MK Dons, and it was pretty flat, I'd say. Um, and I understand to a certain level because it was really dull to watch. So much so that I had to keep reminding myself 
occasionally to tune in a bit more than I was because <laughs> I have to go have to talk about it on the podcast and and you know not to fall asleep in my seat near the end. It was awful. Do you feel was there a lot of apathy between the fans there at Accrington? You know, Pompey were on a ten game unbeaten run, weren't they? When it actually, when, you know, when Accrington happened, is that right? Oh, oh, completely. There wasn't even a lot of abuse at ninety minutes. Well, I, I left as soon as the final whistle went off. Was, the players didn't deserve to be clapped off the pitch after that performance. It was that bad. But no, it was mainly apathy and sort of a sense of well, the team deserved that. Yeah. Uh, because well, well, uh, even in that unbeaten run, you can see you can see games where the team weren't really playing very well, especially in the FA Cup game against Oldham. They could have easily lost that game easily. Portsmouth weren't playing very well at all, not not controlling possession or anything. So I think the problem was the reason why was that effort is because it was coming for ages, and especially with the especially looking at defence playing Naylor at centre half and that, those sorts of stupid stupid decisions it just made everything. It just made people not really seem just to accept it, not really care. Yeah, I understand that. I'm just, I'm just having a, having a think here, and obviously we'll underline this that at the moment Pompey are currently ninth in the table on 34 points, um, which is two points behind Peterborough. Um, who got 36 points and played an extra game. Uh, you go up to Oxford now, who are making a little bit of a storm, aren't they? And they're 39 points. Um, so it's not, it's not, we're not far off, are we? And I think this is one of the things that is a little bit frustrating as a fan base because Pompey, obviously, excuse me, a few points off the playoffs, and it seemed like such a winnable game against MK Dons. This league isn't as good as it was last season, is it? Full stop. No, absolutely not. Well, so got that chance. This, this way, looking at looking at teams like Barnsley, like Luton, th- th- those teams were running away with it. Charlton, who got into the playoffs, that, who beat Portsmouth twice last season, they seemed like a championship team in that division already. Even harder games against Sunderland, who obviously weren't as good as their name suggests, but they were still a very solid team. There's no reason why Portsmouth shouldn't be in the playoffs. Even with, for example, all the, all, all the holes we're going to poke throughout this podcast and the next one about transfers as well. Even with the side we actually have, we should get in the playoffs. But it's just it downs. It comes down to whether fans think that's good enough or not. Should we expect better than scraping a playoffs in this division? And we, we should, of course, we should. With the players we have, with the squad depth we have, compared to a lot of the other teams in the league, we we should be going for automatics. So that's what that's what makes it even more frustrating. It's the it's the expectation compared to what's actually going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, we're going to come up to a bitty period soon when we've got Gillingham, um, then we've got the cup game, haven't we, against Fleetwood, and I think there's a whatever it's called now, the leasing trophy game again later on, uh, which is going to real really you know take a bit of the sting out of that sort of the rolling games and. You know, how we're doing in the in the table as such. Um, do you think, mate, then, looking at the squad, that I, I was just going to ask you about the midfield, do you think that Ben Close is making strides as a player in the middle? Because he's become under quite a lot of flack from certain areas of the fan base. Um, my opinion is that he's been a little bit shackled at the back in that system where he's almost playing on a sort of similar line to Tom Naylor, which is completely, you know, if you want someone else, someone to play in that role, Ben Close isn't the right player for it, is he? Um, do you, how do you think Ben Close is doing at the moment? He's doing really well, considering. Because, as you mentioned, in certain games, he's almost he's almost holding Tom Lather's hand for most of the game, considering how how deep the team sits. And that's really bad. That's not how you're going to get the most out of him, especially if you go two direct as well. 
if all those things happen, where what we were saying earlier about the fullbacks and the wingers and the movement off the ball, that's where Ben Close can shine. Given a bit more freedom at centre mid, you can obviously have Andy Cannon cover him because he's a, he, he's kind of like a box box midfielder, up and down, up and down. So yeah, it, it, in certain games, Ben Close can dominate games in terms of his passing. And in certain games, especially when Pompey go too direct, or if there's no movement off the ball, he makes a lot of sideways passes. And obviously fans will look at him making sideways or backwards passes and go, why the hell are we starting him? He's not He's not, He's not. not doing enough. But it, 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 with like many players in this team, if the, if the team's performing badly, he's not, he's not really the player to pick up the side, if that makes sense. He's the sort of player where if the team is playing okay or playing just above average, he can then tip games over the top for Portsmouth to win but if the side's playing really badly he's not going to be the sort of midfielder to take the game by the scruff of the neck at times but no he, he, I think he's a sort of midfielder again like when Naylor wasn't starting at centre midfield you'll notice when he's not there Yeah I was thinking about the game against Wickham and you know he got the goal and it, Ellis Harrison sort of tries to stab it home and it bounces back off the post and you know Lo and behold, there's Ben Close to tap it in, um, but he takes the ball down nicely, controls it, and then and then plays it in to make sure. It just it just really strikes me that when Ben's got that freedom to you know help support the attack, um, he's generally in the right place at the right time, isn't it? As as well as a lot of skill to score those goals. So if Pompey are playing in the way we're going to call the good here, at home, you know, on the front foot. Um, Maybe Cannon providing pressing possession exactly. Then I think Ben Close, um, you know, is is a big asset for this team, but he doesn't have those defensive capabilities really tracking back and all that kind of stuff when everyone's very stationary. So I think he looks like he's gone absolutely missing in that situation, Um, and he he didn't look great. I didn't think against. Um, against MK Dons, I don't know how he, he thought about good. it. He Aki. didn't look good against Harry. He didn't look good look against look good against Aki either. He played with Ross McCrory that game at centre midfield. Yeah, and he struggled a lot without Tom Naylor next to him. Tom Naylor, Tom Naylor is the reason why Ben Close can have any creative freedom in the midfield at all to be able to do his best. Those two at centre midfield, you don't need to change them whatsoever. Honestly, one thing, one thing I will say about Tom Naylor is what has What's the deal with him and Neil Allen? <laughs> Neil La- Allen loves a, loves a defensive centre midfielder. Obviously. He absolutely loves Tom Naylor, doesn't he? Mm. Just going to read his um, what he said about his review for Tom Naylor against MK Dons. <laughs> oh, God. Which I think is absolutely criminal. You're fuming Tom- about this. Sorry. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I posted it in our group chat, the Pompey News Now group chat. Tom Naylor refused to accept defeat and battled away eight eight <laughs> eight no really? one should be given an eight no one should be given an eight in that oh, game and yes. i know the local journals have to you know pad it well out. they don't it have to but they do enough. they do pad it out a bit for they the shouldn't do. Club. they should just be honest yeah just say how yeah it was but eight i'm not <laughs> tom naylor looked poor he looked poor in that game and there's not often he looks poor but his passing was bad not just his long passing his short passing was off he it looked like a chicken in that game, mate. And I'll be honest, I just don't know what the deal is. Maybe he's well, um, I think if buying he, beers he, down he, the rifle or something. Oh, maybe. But I think it's another thing where Neil Allen appreciates the fact that when Tom Naylor's not in the midfield, the midfield collapses a lot. Like in that Accrington game, Ross McCrory didn't look good at centre midfield at all. He only started playing after about 75 minutes. 
and the fact that Tom Nader was ha- was having to defend at centre half and not helping Ben Close out. That's why Neil Allen appreciates Tom Nader a lot because, well, if he wasn't there in the centre midfield, Oxford would lose the midfield all the time. And I appreciate that, but the problem is Tom. We've seen Tom Nader have bad performances all the time. He doesn't need to be given an eight every single game, but obviously he's a strong aspect of this team and should be. Yeah, I know exactly. And credit where credit's due, Tom Nader's a fantastic player for us most of the time. But you can't just go giving him an eight every time because you think he's a great player. No, no, um, obviously not. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Um, yeah. So there we go, mate. So far, we've done the good, the bad. Um, let's get on. Let's do the ugly because Gillingham are a team in absolute form at the moment. And I think Pompey's recent record against Gillingham, Freddie, hasn't been great, has it? It's been terrible. It's been terrible. I, I haven't even looked it up. I, I'm not sure if you've done. but I have, yeah. Let's go with it. Mm-hmm. So Gillingham are also six games unbeaten in all competitions. Um, and they've won their last four home games, which obviously Pompey are playing away at Gillingham. And Pompey have failed to score against Gillingham in their last three games in League One. Um, they've had home wins recently over Rochdale 1-0, MK Dons 3-1. That's how you do it. Sunderland 1-0 and Doncaster 3-0 in the FA Cup. Um, the only thing I would say about Gillingham is they're not storming teams. You know, that was a that 3-0 win was in the cup. But Gillingham have so far... Um, so, I think... Oh, yeah. Get, I was going to say for us, getting the first goal is pivotal for us in this game. Um, and they Gillingham have scored under 2.5 goals in six of their last seven games. Sorry, they sound there's, like there's, a typical been... Steve Evans team, don't they? Exactly. No, there's been yeah. less two and less than two and a half goals. Sorry, in six of the last seven games in League One, so the total amount. So getting an early goal, getting on the front foot for us was going to be really important. Why do we always fail against Gillingham? And maybe Steve Evans' introduction <clears> as manager <throat> might be the thing that saves us, Freddie. Well, maybe, yeah, because well, the last time we played against Steve Evans' side. In, in Peterborough, we played really well in the in the away game. Anyway, in the home game, we fell to pieces a little bit. But no, I don't know why. I think last season the problem was Gillingham or Jingham are reared. They make again like so many other teams in the league one. They make everything difficult in terms of their defensive play and their tackling. And sometimes, well, essentially, it all comes down to the midfield again. Like we were saying, if Gillingham, if Gillingham play really rough in the middle, then Pompey won't have a lot going forward at all which means that Gillingham will run away with it again. But we just have to wait and see, honestly. I'm not I'm not sure if Portsmouth will get a good result against Gillingham. I'd take a draw away from home all day. Well, particularly at the moment, with the way we're performing away from home, it'll be good to stop the rot, as they say. Um, obviously, a win's really what we want to go for against Gillingham. Where are Gillingham in the table, mate? I should have added that to my notes, but I didn't. Um, uh, I've got it here. They're currently 11th with 32 points, two points off of Pompey and 9th with 34. Okay, so they can overtake us with a win. They can um, do, yeah. So they'll be really fired up for this game, especially on the on the good form that they're on. Um, I know some of the fans over at, at Gillingham and they've been saying to me, they reckon they got this one in the bag. We shall see. Um, players to watch, Freddie, I did highlight a couple of those lovely Gillingham beauties that we should be watching. Um, I like Connor Oligivy. Is that how you pronounce it? Oligivy. Ogilvy? Um, yeah. I think we think it's Ola Givy, but it's not. Um, so he's a left back. For people that don't know, he's a threat down the left. He's even chipped in with three goals this season for Gillingham. 
Um, he looks. He looks like an, uh, the sort of player. Honestly, spoiler alert for the next episode that Portsmouth should go after. That left back who's defensively solid and the ability to go forward and dribble a lot, which causes many problems for a lot of teams. So yeah, uh, Connor Gilvy will be one of their better players. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan. I think that, and yeah, spoiler for the next episode, you and Freddie have gone through um, and compiled a list of all the players that we think, mainly at the back, we've gone through. Um, Pompey should be looking to sign, as well as taking your um, suggestions as well. So that'll be the next episode. But yeah, so I think he's a good threat down the left. Um, bit of a different one, but I think um, Brendan Hanlan up front, good dribbler, um I think he's got three goals to assist this season, but they haven't scored many goals in the league at all. I think the top scorer has got five. Mm-hmm. So he's um, he's a player that really can get on the ball, cause problems. And I just imagine him running at Raggett at the moment. Yeah, precisely. Well, <clears throat> that was any team running on the counter-attack, dribbling forward, make it, making the centre-half make decisions will cause sports with a lot of problems all the time. So that's why that's why it's imperative for Portsmouth to stop that by retaining possession. That's the easiest thing that Portsmouth can do with it. Which they found difficult when we were at MK Dons. They didn't seem to be able to just get the ball, pass it round. You know what I mean? For straight. They couldn't. They couldn't do that. They couldn't do that against Accrington either. Even though the weather was bad at Accrington, it was like what was it about minus? I was stood there minus two in the in the away stand with no roof. So that was fun. But no. But no. It, entirely Portsmouth sort of have to be able to simply have the confidence in their passing and to control the games because they can that they can do at home so really it shouldn't be any different away from home honestly no of course it shouldn't be any different away from home I was just looking at the formation they play they tend to play the 41212 formation uh, di- is it a diamond yeah. through the middle? Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> Which is Pompey's favourite formation to play against, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, obviously, if you think of Luton last season, that uh, that caused caused him a lot of problems. So what would Kenny Jacket do here? Would he simply go with the four two, his standard four two three one, and just try and keep everything on the wing instead? Or well, they play, they will play he... The they play the same system as Peterborough played, mate, really. And it's just mm. Steve Evans has just taken that system and from Peterborough and plonked it into Gillingham. Mm-hmm. Does he play wide? I think you have to play wide against. Okay, jacket. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you, you, you can you can do it both ways. You can do you, you can try and control the game in your four two three one and stay in your shape, or you can do the Kenny Jacket thing and drop a bit deeper, keep the wingers a bit higher up, and then go direct to the wing, and then keep the front three further forward, and that's how he'll keep it play play wide that way. But. I, I, I wouldn't. I, I can imagine Portsmouth conceding too many goals by doing that. Yeah, the only other formation that Gillingham play, which is a similar again for Peterborough, is, that, is the three at the back system with the with the wing backs. Um, mm-hmm. Again, as uh, long as we support Ellis Harrison up front and give him some options around him, I don't think that's a, a difficult formation to play against. It's just when you end up lumping it forward to one guy up front who's then got three centre-backs to worry about, that's when you start losing the ball. Oh, precisely, it? yeah. As soon as uh, There just has to be a bit, of, a bit of patience and a bit of smart thinking when it comes to going forward, rather than just panicking and hoofing it forward. Do you remember that interview that Lee Brown did ages and ages ago, which got him a load of flack on social media? I do. do you remember the one where he was misquoted? Yeah. Even though he was misquoted, there is there was a, there was a certain air of t- truth about it, wasn't there? 
because you have seen in so many games where ports have that excellent 30 to 35 minutes at the beginning, which is effectively the Accrington game. Blackpool away was the same. Sunderland away was the same. But all, all games I went to, they control about half an hour and then concede a goal. And then suddenly they've forgotten about what they were doing before. They've forgotten all the runs they were making and the passes they were making beforehand. And mm-hmm. it just turns very one-dimensional, very stale. So that's what Portsmouth need to stop doing, which is a mentality thing at the end of the day sometimes. Kenny Jacket can say as much as he wants at half-time or make any changes. But if the players revert to type and keep doing that, then they're going to underachieve, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, no, I can't sell it better, mate. I've seen that um, Gillingham, for instance, uh, tend to be a little bit susceptible to a through ball being played in behind them. Mm-hmm. Well... Yeah, well, if that's the case, you could start John Marquis instead, or play, or do the unthinkable for Kenny Jacket and play Marquis and Harrison, which yeah. I think can work at times. <laughs> I think you just need to make sure if you if you play if you bring Andy if you okay let's be safe let's go on the mindset here of Kenny Jacket and then see what we could do with what he might do. I think that if you go back to the the four-two-three-one. You put Cannon um, in that centre midfield. Well, sorry, that uh, Cam role, um, which really does sort of transform it into a four-three-three sometimes, doesn't it? As well, um, and then you play Harness on the right, and you play Curtis on the left, etc. I, I think that if you can get that little link-up play, because Cannon has the ability to get the ball, drive it forward, and thread the ball through, um, and then you might en- end up with a similar goal that you know Ronan Curtis has got into the box late and. and and scored a goal from there, putting balls into the box for Ellis Harrison. Um, and then just that little link-up play, the little one-twos to get through on goal and take a shot. I think that's how you're going to score goals against Gillian. You have to really open them up, really, um, which is, of course, what we haven't, we haven't been doing away from home. But I think our best chance of doing that is to get on the front foot, press them, um, cause them problems, get the full-backs forward, get on the overlap, and then see if we can get some goals. Pretty much, yeah. You, you, you have to... Stay, you have to go in the front foot in this system. Last season it worked where Portsmouth didn't do that. <clears throat> Actually, they did. They did to, always did to start with in away games, for example, last season, like Bradford away, Portsmouth from the front foot until they ran themselves ragged at like six, around 60 minutes and then just hunkered back again and dropped deep. Portsmouth can't do that anymore. Portsmouth don't have the defenders or the midfielders to do that anymore. So, yeah, you had to stay, stay on top all the time. And the easiest way to do that without your players getting tired all the time is just what we've been saying retain possession keep down those smart movements off the ball and i think we should beat Gillingham if we do that yeah yeah i think i think we can it's just uh it's just a case of what team turns up didn't it so hmm. is it going to be that good or bad team freddie what's your starting lineup for this game do you think it's going to be unchanged from the last game the outside bet <laughs> He's got i to think so I, I i i think he probably will keep the same team won't he I he changed it mid-game last time it didn't work so knowing Kenny Jackie he'll just let's type and do that same formation won't he he'll go 4-2-3-1 I reckon yeah he'll go he'll yeah. go for like 4-2-3-1 four, four, against Wickham and Ipswich which is fine he'll revert back to the type of the last time he played well in that's what Precisely. I reckon yeah, yeah. yeah, most managers do that. It's not Kenny Jacket thing by any manner of means. No, not at all. It is It is a go-with-what-works sort of idea, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just a quick one, then. So, what do you reckon the score prediction is going to be? Or what's one your all. score prediction? One That's all. the better way of asking that. One all. One all. What Ronan Curtis will score. Keep, it, keep his form going. Hasn't he scored, like, seven in eight now? 
or something along those lines. And, and in Moon eight. put it on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he got that goal again, didn't he? Which is yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah. 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 Which maybe forget. Mm-hmm. But no, I, think be, I did I a golf clap a... celebration to that. <laughs> At least I was still there, mate. About half the puppy fans had left, you know. Oh, you, can, you can't leave early, can you? They you had they, mate. That's no, how, that, that's how that's bad appall- it was. That's appalling. You can't leave a game early, even if the team's that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stayed until 90 minutes at Accrington. I left as soon as the final whistle went, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah, you, exactly. you, you have to stay for the good and bad, don't you? You can't just leave after 70 minutes. No, you do. You do as well, mate. But um, yeah, cool. So I'm happy with that one. All I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I reckon we could do it. I reckon I'll, I'll go you positive. Obviously, we need to play better on the front foot away from home. We're currently 17th in the league in away form, which is awful. Um, that's got to change at some point. Gillingham are a a bogey team of ours. We've not played well against them. We've not even scored in the last three games. So, um, no, so no Pompey will actually win this game. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit of reverse psychology here, mate. That's what I'm saying. I thought we'd beat MK Dons. I'm going to go with. Oh, I was going to say, let's go. Let's go one nil. Who's your Who's your goal scorer? Um, I was going to go Ronan Curtis as well, mate. He's yeah, the only yeah, person yeah. who's consistent at the moment, isn't he? He's Putting the ball in the net. Ex- he's played exceptionally well, hasn't he? Yeah. It, it yeah. just goes to show how, how much, how much, how much good that break did of two or three weeks. Because he was on international duty as well, so he's playing all the time. It just so many people see, see dropping a player as the end of the world. It's like, oh, you've dropped him finally, thank God. But no, no, it was the best thing that could have happened to him. Just reset him a bit. He got he, he got back to basics of his finishing and his decision making, and he's doing wonders now. So I'm really pleased. I'm really pleased with him. No, I'm really proud of him as well. And he's actually managed to get in those attacking positions, hasn't he? Where he scored goals, where where him and Lowe before were getting into, weren't they? To finish off chances. So not just the outside of the box cut inside chances, but these chances he's getting into the six-yard box and finishing, tapping home, etc. That sort of that sort of chances. Precisely. That, and that's and how he's going to rack his totals up. And be that sec- effectively that second striker which Portsmouth need next to that target man up front. Exactly. Someone else who makes the run into the box. So if Harrison does make that run as well, it, it creates space, doesn't it, for someone else to make a run across the defenders. So, no, really happy with Ronan Curtis, mate. Um, all right, let's round this one up, mate. Um, and we're going to go um, press stop record and then we're just going to record again um, and get straight into our transfer targets, who we think Pompey should be looking at, who you guys think Pompey should be looking at. Um, yeah, so until a few minutes, if you want to listen to the next one straight away, or next time you get round to listening to it, uh, play it off. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle! <laughs>